appreciate appreciate that reminder, David. If uh, young people can be dismissed to their children's church, Paul, that's not you. <laughs> All right. Said young people. Yeah. All right. Acts chapter 8, if you would turn there, please. Acts chapter 8 this morning. Very interesting section. Um, very interesting character we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, and, uh, and even in regards to, was he an honest-to-goodness honest believer or just a pretender? Um, some of that I'll even leave to your decision, to your discretion as we get there. But uh, the story's here for a reason and for a purpose, as all of Scripture is. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, <laughs> and thus this one is as well. Uh, we've been studying the book of Acts, and the writer of the book of Acts is a man by the name of Luke. Luke is the beloved physician, and we've suggested the idea that there's not a whole lot of those, um, but he is a beloved physician, and that's how Paul refers to him, and so possibly he was someone who cared for Paul in the process of his also being Paul's companion on these missionary journeys. He's a historian, gospel writer, and even the gospel of Luke that he wrote, even though it's one of the synoptic gospels where Matthew, Mark, Luke talk a lot about the same stories, 58% uh, of the book of Luke is brand new material and not repeated uh, elsewhere. So uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts and he talks about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work in the early church. What we find is after the ascension and the resurrection of the, the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the apostles are now bold. Uh, they're full of the Holy Spirit. And Peter declares to the Sanhedrin and to others that this whole matter of Jesus' coming and even dying on the cross was God's deliberate plan. And he said, you're guilty of murder. You're guilty of betrayal. And, but God has raised him from the dead, and he's seated at the, seated at the right hand of God, and he sent to us the Holy Spirit as evidenced by all these miracles and what you, signs and wonders and things that you see. And God has given you a second chance. And many, many, many in Jerusalem responded, 3,000 on one occasion, and another 5,000 men were baptized, and multitudes, it says, came to Christ from all over. And even the temple priests, uh, many of them followed and made decisions to follow Christ. As the church grew and, and people began to continue following Jesus, uh, the devil threw out threats from the, uh, from the Sanhedrin. Peter and John were thrown into prison and threatened in regards to their behavior, and they were beaten. Ananias and Sapphira from within the congregation, uh, their hearts ended up full of jealousy and, and deceit, and, um, and they, were, they were struck dead. Uh, there was complaints in regards to the Grecian widows not getting their fair portion. And basically, persecution started to heat up all around them in regards to from the Sanhedrin, and especially in regards to a young man by the name of Stephen. Stephen, who was one of the ones who took care of food distribution with the Grecian widows, uh, he was a young man, and all of a sudden we, we see him next as doing miracles, which at this particular point we seem to have thought only apostles were, were doing that, but now Stephen's doing miracles, and he's disputing with the Jewish leaders, and basically they could not answer his questions, they could not keep up, 
And so they began to get lying witnesses to say, well, he speaks against the temple, and he speaks against Moses, and he speaks against Abraham, and he speaks against the law, and it's like making up all this stuff. And Stephen preached what is the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts as he explained the fact that Abraham was given a second chance to go where God asked him to go. The sons of Jacob were given a second chance in regards to their brother Joseph. Israel was given a second chance in regards to Moses' leadership. They were given a second chance in regards to Joshua and the promised land. And then he says pointedly and directly at the Sanhedrin, this same group, by the way, uh, and we're talking about, you know, we're just talking about months here. From the time of Jesus' ascension and, and the time of the crucifixion and, and so forth, uh, boldly speaking before the Sanhedrin, saying, you're missing, he said, you're missing your second chance. You're stiff-necked. You're uncircumcised of heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And then he says, name, name for me one prophet that your fathers did not persecute. And you're just like your fathers. It says Stephen's words cut them to the heart, not in a good way, but in a very angry way. They grinded their teeth, they stopped their ears, and they ran upon him and took him outside the city and they stoned him to death. Stephen, in the process of all of this, it says, was full of the Holy Spirit. He looked up and he saw Jesus standing in heaven and said to Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and said, lay, lay not this sin to their charge. And I, I wondered this week as I studied and reviewed this, I wonder if God answered that prayer. And basically, Stephen said, they've done enough things wrong. Don't add this to it. Lay not this sin to their charge. And he fell asleep. It is also interesting that Stephen's last prayer was not for deliverance or not for them to please, Lord, help the stones to miss or please, you know, get me out of this somehow. His last prayer was for forgiveness for those who were doing this to him. Some of the Sanhedrin and leaders, I believe, were opposed to this behavior. And they acted, it says, devout men went and took him and buried him. And it says there was great lamentation. But the Sanhedrin as a whole became fired up in their persecution and wanting to stop this craziness that was taking place in Jerusalem. Uh, and it's like, well, we thought if, if we get rid of Jesus, if we get rid of the leader of all of this, uh, you know, and, and, if, and if he's gone, then maybe, maybe this will run its course and be done. Well, the problem is they didn't get rid of Jesus. He just changed locations. Um, Jesus did, he died, but he rose again. And Saul in particular caused great persecution for the church at Jerusalem. Believers were scattered. It says he made havoc of the church. He acted like a wild man. He threatened, he breathed out slaughter against the church, and it says he destroyed the church beyond measure. But we find in Acts chapter 8, as we're going to look there, that persecution does to the church what the wind does to a seed. It blows it, and it spreads, and it scatters, but it's still alive. Chapter 8, verse number 1, just for, by way of review, Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church that was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, they stayed place in Jerusalem. 
Devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and he made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. Took the word of God with them everywhere they went. Now we have the proclamation of the word of God to Samaria. We started this a few weeks back, and, uh, and, and so some of this is going to be reviewed. But it says, Philip went down. And this Philip, again, is um, linked with Stephen. Both Philip and Stephen are listed as uh, one of the seven men that were responsible for the food distribution to these Grecian widows to make sure they got their fair share and so forth. But their job and their ministry has expanded to the point where Philip now, scattered because of persecution, has gone to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord, verse number 6, gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Second time, this is, Stephen did miracles and now Philip is doing these miracles as well. Uh, people are listening, they're seeing, they're hearing, they're responding. And it says, unclean spirits cried with loud voices came out of many that were possessed with them. And, and many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city as the people with one accord gave heed to the things, hearing and seeing the miracles which Philip did. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, and now they're spreading out. They're, the gospel is starting to, to take off. Acts 1.8 talks about, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Jerusalem has been saturated. Judea and the cities around about sent people to Jerusalem for all the things that were taking place, and now we see it in Samaria with Philip. And from uh, food distribution, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and also you need to understand, with the death of Stephen, everything changes. With the death of Stephen, if they can, if, and the Sanhedrin, if you remember, they were reluctant. Why didn't they take Jesus out and stone him? Well, it was like they were reluctant to do this, or the, because of his popularity in many areas, it's like, we want to blame this on the Romans. And so we're going to turn him over to the Romans to be crucified. And, and even if you remember, Rome didn't want anything to do with this. Pilate said, you know, this is your matter. It's jealousy that you've delivered him to me. I find no fault in this man. But they were trying to deflect it from themselves. But now all of a sudden the Sanhedrin are taking into their own hands and giving approval to the death of Stephen as they take him outside the city and stone him as a heretic. Now all of a sudden it's like, hmm, this Christianity and this second chance that we've all been receiving, 3,000 and 5,000 and multitudes, and everything's awesome and everything's great, and look how God, what God is doing. Now all of a sudden it's like, eh, this could cost us our life. The threat of St the, the St Stephen's death puts a new outlook on everything as in regards to you're risking your life to share God's word. But Philip does so. Uh, Philip the apostle is still in Jerusalem. This is Philip, one of the one of the seven, and he's going to the Samaritans, this hated group. Uh, and again, we mentioned the fact that <clears throat> Galilee is to the north, Samaria in the middle, Judah in the south. Sometimes people from Judah or devout Jews from Judah, in order to get to Galilee, they would go around Samaria. They would literally cross over the Jordan River to go around Samaria, uh, lest they set foot in this horrible place. And, and when they would get ready for cutdowns, you... Uh, you know, you harlot, you uh, Gentile, you Samaritan, that was used as a, uh, a slanderous cut down. Uh, they were hated by the Jews because they intermarried during the 
during and following the Assyrian takeover of the north, uh, the Assyrians took many Jews into captivity, brought other people and put them in their place. It became a mixed culture, mixed religions. Mount Gerizim was their place of worship, not Jerusalem or the temple. And even when they came back after the Babylonian um, captivity to rebuild the temple and set up and rebuild the city of Jerusalem, the Samaritans opposed this and caused more difficulty between the Jews and the Samaritans. But it says, as a group, they gave heed. And Philip is called, interestingly enough, I went down, it says, preach Christ to them. Later, uh, Paul's going to refer to him in Acts chapter 21 as Philip the Evangelist. Um, and it says, seeing miracles, unclean spirits came out of many. The lame were healed, and there was great joy amongst the people. But, verse 9, there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because that for a long time he had bewitched them with his sorceries. This is the guy who controls the city. And again, it mentions the unclean spirits that are cast out. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, is how come there's these unclean spirits? Well, no doubt with the sorcery and the bewitching and the tricking and controlling these people, no doubt Satan is involved in some way to keep the people deceived, to keep the people in darkness. The devil, the definition of the devil, he's a deceiver and a destroyer. He's a liar and a murderer. And, and from the very beginning, and of course Eve and Adam found this out from the very beginning, he's a liar, he's a murderer. Uh, he's a deceiver and a destroyer. And so uh, it, it, it explains the unclean spirits. Simon controlled the city using sorcery, bewitched the people. Uh, and it almost sounds like, I, you know, you'll have to forgive me for the reference, but he made out, giving himself out that he was some great one, the great and powerful Oz. You know, it's like, he, and, and if you know the story, Oz is a fraud. He's a fake. And, 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 and it's like, he sounds so big and so awesome, and everybody's in fear. And, and, and that's, thus it was with Simon. He controlled the city. People believe this man is a god with great power and all the rest, and much had been said, by the way, in the Old Testament in regards to witchcraft and sorcery and these types of things, that God wanted His people to stay as far away from this stuff as He possibly could. One of the reasons for not intermarrying with other nations, and because the worship of their false gods and these strange practices in regards to sorcery and witchcraft and enchantments and things of that nature, things that still still uh, are all around us today. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love the idea where it talks about call, you know, call this number and talk to a live psychic, you know. Um, would it not be cooler to call this number and talk to a dead psychic? That would be so much better. Or, or here are, I, I, honest to goodness, one time I got in a, in a fortune cookie, <laughs> seriously, in a fortune cookie, I got a, my, my fortune was, uh, a man and his money, or fool and his money is soon departed, something like that. And I'm like, hey, finally, this is a good one, you know, and it's almost like on the back were my lucky lotto numbers. <laughs> it's like, seriously. 
And, and, and it's like, if they knew this stuff, I, I should be calling, they just want to help you. If they knew this stuff, I should be calling the house, of a, a butler should answer the phone. These should be very, very wealthy people if they know, know all the stuff that they pretend that they know. And they should be, you know, it, it, and, and so forth. And God tells his people to stay away from this kind of stuff. Um, next slide there. Deuteronomy says it this way. When you come into the land, this is back with Moses talking about coming into the land of Canaan because they're going to enter and they're going to have to run the people out of the land. With Joshua, they're going to have to take the central part, then the south, then the north. Seven years they run all the uh, wicked inhabitants out of the land. When you come into the land which the Lord God gives you, do not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire. This child sacrifice or human sacrifice is not acceptable. Or that uses divination or observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. For all that do those things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. And again, the, 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 the strangeness of all of it is, is later the story of Saul, who is the king, who drives all these wicked people out from the land of Israel. But at the end of his life, when he's looking for answers to what's going on, he seeks out a witch to find out because God is not speaking to him and God is not talking to him. But this is forbidden. This is wrong. This is stuff we're supposed to stay away from for a long time, if you please. For a long time, verse number 11 says they were under his spell. Simon says, and fill in the blank, they did it. He was in charge. Now, here's the interesting part. What happens to Simon? Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, this is the crowd or the group in general, the people of the city believing Philip, when they believed his preaching concerning the things of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, the, Jesus, the kingdom of God is coming again. And, and Jesus is the Messiah, and he was the Messiah. And, and they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered Beholding the miracles and signs which were done. This is interesting stuff, okay? Uh, and again, read into it what you, what, you, what you will, but the people believe the preaching. They're baptized. And it says Simon believed and was baptized. But he stayed close to Philip because it's like, this is cool stuff. Whether Simon himself knew that some of his stuff and his, his control over this people was by fraud and by fake and whatever. Simon's like, this is real stuff. It's like, how do you do that? This is, it, it has his interest to the point where he wondered and, he, and he's following. I, I've always wondered like the, the magicians of Egypt who at the beginning when Moses starts doing all these things and they continued to repeat, they turned water to blood and, and, and they brought more frogs and more flies and... and, and uh, and even when the, the serpent, the, the stick was thrown down, the staff was thrown down, became a serpent, and they did likewise with their enchantments. They've got to know. And eventually they go to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, you probably shouldn't mess with this because this is the finger of God. It's like he's able to do stuff that we can't, we can't do. This is beyond us. This is beyond 
trick or imagination or, or whatever you want to call. And, and so he wonders, and, he, and it's like, how, it, it's more like, how do you do this? Or he stays close to them, um, following close after them. It says, uh, he wondered. Um, let's see, where am I? Verse number 13. He continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So he has, and again, is this a, if you can't beat them, join them? Is, is this real salvation for, for Simon, or is it counterfeit? But then again, there's a side where you can't blame him for his curiosity. I, how many times does it say in the, <coughs> excuse me, in the Gospels where people followed Jesus, the multitudes followed, because of it, it's like they want to see what's next. It's kind of like chasing the fire truck. I, I want to see, you know, see what's going on. I, I, I have curiosity in regards to what's happening, or how do you do this, or I'd like to be behind the curtain. I'd like to see how the magician pulls this off. And so some of it just could be genuine curiosity. There's a little break with Simon. In verse number 14, now, when the apostles that were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Why? Philip is not an apostle. And as the apostles that are doing all the miracles and all the signs and wonders and all these people, we're in a transition period again. Remember, we talked about this before. The sending of the Holy Spirit. And the, the fire and the cloven tongues and the speaking in tongues and the wind and all this. This is a sign. It's a sign gift. It's going to happen a couple other times. But the idea is, is something here. Uh, it's a sign gift to prove to the Jewish people that Samaritans indeed can be saved. Gentiles indeed can be saved. Uh, years later... Years later, when Paul is going through all of Asia and all the different parts of the place on his missionary journeys, they're still struggling with this. Uh, Gentiles getting saved? I don't think so. You need to become a Jew first. It's a Jewish Messiah, and, and, and you're accepting the Jewish Messiah, so you have to accept the Jewish faith and the religion. You need to be circumcised. You need to promise to obey the law, and then you can accept our Messiah. And uh, so can Gentiles really be saved? Can Samaritans really be saved? Peter and John are going to Samaria to find out whether they can really be saved or not. Okay, All this comes back that, oh, this is what's taking place, and they're responding. Can Samaritans really be saved? And Peter and John went up there, and to their credit, if you please, when they were come down, they prayed for them, verse 15, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Um, and um, for as yet he was fo uh, fallen on none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so what had taken place is things very similar to what has taken place in the gospel. We put our faith and trust in Christ, and then we're baptized to let people know that we're not ashamed of, of our relationship with Him. But as far as the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit had not come or arrived. Um, and of course, with us, you know, and the way the Holy Spirit works with us, uh, we don't see, you know, it, it, I, I think it would be awesome you know, if somebody, when somebody got saved, if all of a sudden <laughs> the whole place shook and, you know, be like, whoa, man, this is awesome stuff. But oftentimes when you deal with somebody and you share the plan of salvation with them, it's like you're waiting for, you know, and they, and they put their faith and trust in Christ. And you're waiting for this, ooh, weird experience to happen or, or, or something to take place to, oh, you know, there isn't anything. The Bible says it's like the wind. It comes and it goes. It's there. You can, you can tell the effects of it. 
but you can't necessarily see it. It's not something visible. But what happens here is they pray for the Holy Spirit to come, and it says, um, it had not fallen. Verse number seven, they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, again, this puzzles me just a tad. Uh, and when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Let's back up. Peter and John go up there. All these people are responding. All these people are believing. Philip's message is sound. Philip's message is correct. The people are believing. They're being baptized. <sighs> okay. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, let's pray. And they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And they prayed for all of them. And then it says they laid hands on them. How big is this group? Did they do it symbolically as a whole group were laying on hands? Or, or was it one at a time? Receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I, I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is it says Simon saw that they had received the Holy Spirit. Something did happen. Something that Simon saw, and he goes like, I, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to give that power to people. It's like, whoa, that's awesome. Show me. I had a <laughs> my first year at Appalachian Bible College. Um, my roommate, I was, well, I guess 18, he was 26. Um, problem with my roommate and I was, I, I was somewhat of a prankster, and he wanted to be my spiritual advisor and my father. Uh, not a good combination, not a good combination. Um, just for, just for purposes, um, I ended up in the dean of men's office because my roommate requested a, another roommate. Um, <laughs> um, but upon talking to the dean of men, he, he ends up with, he ends up laughing and says, "We, you, he says you two can work it out." And so I, I did not get transferred um, or booted out. But my roommate was a uh, ventriloquist, <coughs> Larry, and uh, he never let me touch his dummy. Um, it was off limits. Dummy was off limits. And, um, and he was also a magician. He did gospel magic tricks and stuff. So he would do little shows for kids and stuff like that and youth programs and stuff. And I was forever, show me how to do that. Show me how to do that. Show me how to do that. I would say, how did you do that? How did you do that? And he showed me like basic dumb tricks. Okay. But if I show you everything, then, you know. So I'm the Simon guy who goes like, how did you do that? <laughs> I want to know, how, how did you do that? Because I, I, I want to be able to do that and impress people too. I, wanna, I want them to see what I can do. And, and, and so Simon, not only does he ask to do it, give me this power. Simon saw, verse 18, that through the laying on of hands the Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money and said, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands on he may receive the Holy Ghost. And literally, it's in, a, in the Greek tense, and the verb is, like, give me this power right this very second. I want it now. I, I want this I want to do this. Now, pause. We can kind of pause and think here. A couple of things. What is his motive? It sounds like he has a good motive. I, I, I want to be able to do what you're doing. I want to be able to give the Holy Spirit to people just like you're doing. Now, that's Elisha said, 
to Elijah, I want a double portion of the spirit that you have. I want to be able to serve God twice as much as you are. Is that bad? Solomon said, I want to have an enlar- enlarge my heart. I want, I want a double portion. I want, I, want a, I, I want my heart to be twice as large as my father David's was. Is that wrong? Is he asking for some good thing here? I, and he says, I, give me this power that whomever I lay my hands on, he may receive the Holy Ghost. And I'll pay you money. <laughs> Peter loses his mind. <laughs> Remember the Peter of Jesus' day? who was always saying things and doing things and flying, you know, and so forth. Now it's Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, he seems like he's calm, he's cool, he's collected. He's not worried about persecution. He's not worried while he's in the prison. It's no big deal. God's going to take care of it. He's free. He loses his mind over this comment, especially in regards to the money part of things. I will pay you money. I think something happens. I mean, it's something here. He sees something. So whether it's, again, whether it's wind, fire, tongues, whatever, but the Holy Spirit arrives. He offered them money. A motive, he wanted disciples, wanted the power the disciples had to empower more people for Christ. Or did he want to regain control over the people that he had just lost? Give me this at once. Is he sincere? Is he slipping backwards? And then even the never believe thing, he believes this. I mean, he's like, how'd you do that? <laughs> I want to know how you did that. I'll pay you money. Show me how to do that. He believes it. It's real. He sees it. But Peter lashes out, verse number 20. And Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God peradventure, perhaps the thought of thy heart might be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gull of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Yipes. (laughs) Basically, he says, to perdition with you, and your money. Thy money perish with you. Now, it's fair to assume Simon was pretty wealthy, okay? I mean, if he has control over the whole city, right, and people are following him and they think he's a god, they think there's no doubt that he profited in this endeavor, okay? Uh, And he has some wealth. And Peter is like just completely uh, triggered by this uh, by this matter. Peter talks a lot, interestingly enough, this in, in, uh, he talks a lot about perdition and damnation and false teachers. Uh, in Second Peter, he writes this, but there are false teachers also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of the way of truth, uh, the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness, 
covetousness, which is greed and wanting to get money and things, shall they with feigned words or words that you love to hear or tricky, sneaky words make merchandise of you. They want to own you and they want to take from you. Whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, but their damnation slumbers not. So Peter is pretty much sharp on this fact that watch out for false teachers that are just in it for the money to take advantage of you, to control you, to manipulate you. And how does Peter feel about money? He says, well, the trial of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory of the appearing of Christ. I love this verse. For as much as you know, that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. And also in the Greek, it's puny little silver, puny little gold. You were not saved by money. You were not saved, but you did not purchase your salvation with silver and gold. From the vain conversation received tradition from your fathers, but you were saved with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or blemish and without spot. He sees money as this is, this is going to perish. He says, this stuff is more valuable. He says, you cannot buy this. Interestingly enough, there is still a word that we use in our English language called simony, okay? Not to be confused with simonize, what you would wax your car with. But uh, simony is the idea of buying or selling a church office, making a profit out of sacred things, buying or selling church benefits or spiritual favors, like pardons or relics or indulgences. Buy this. Um, Religion for a long time has been used by kings and popes and whatever leaders of all kind ever since man was created as, as a way to manipulate and control people. And even the whole concept of works for salvation is a way to manipulate and control people. Do you understand that our salvation is a free gift? What do I have to do? I remember, I remember talking to somebody one time uh, and, and, and witnessing to them, and he says, he says, I want to accept Christ as Savior, but what do you get out of it? I said, what? He says, what do you get out of it? And I'm like, I, 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 I'm just doing what God asked me to do. <laughs> and, and he says, you don't want anything from me? And I said, no. He says, but if I get saved, you're going to want me to go to your church, aren't you? I said, well, that would be nice, but I said, you don't have to. Well, you're going to want my money, aren't you? <laughs> yes, that would be great if you tithe, and, but you don't have to. And somehow this idea that, you know, I, I have to go to church. I have to be in attendance. I have to pay my money. I, I was in a hospital room with a woman who was dying, and her last request, her serious last request was for her son, son, go to my bedroom dresser. On the dresser is an envelope. Please make sure that gets to the church because I make sure I'm all paid up before. I'm like, seriously? But as we say this, and as some of us think this is ridiculous, the fact of the matter is this is a method to control people. You have to do this or else. If you don't play ball, if you don't do things the way uh, popes and kings and rulers have done this, the, the whole crusades of the, of, the, of the Middle Ages is based on the fact that the Pope says, I want you, I want King so-and-so, I want you to take your men and your fighting men and go down there to Jerusalem and drive out the Muslims, drive out that Islamic horde and free Jerusalem for Christianity. 
And the king goes, no, I don't want to go there. He said, well, if you don't go, you're in violation of what I want you to do and what God wants you to do, and I'm going to kick you out of the church. <coughs> and if you get kicked out of the church, you're automatically kicked out of heaven. Okay, I guess we'll go. And that, seriously, that's how it all happened. Basically, they manipulated kings to do their bidding because for fear of losing eternity. And, and, it, and it was a means to control people. You have to do this or else. And again, all the signs and hieroglyphics of things on walls for even Egyptians is the Pharaoh sitting there on his throne with the sun god smiling upon him. Uh, me and God, we're, boy, we're like this, you know, <laughs> more like this. But uh, it's like we're in, we're in a wonderful relationship, and you better, better do as I say because I'm in link with God, and if you don't do as I say, I can keep you from, you know, it's like, oh, look, serious. Controlling and manipulating people. It's the story of the Crusades. Uh, kick you out of the church or excommunicate you. Kick you out of heaven. Uh, and even a, to a place where there's indulgences. There's, um, if you, your loved one has just passed, and they're in uh, purgatory for, and there's, it's a place of suffering, but not forever, and, and they're going to suffer there for, uh, I don't know, could be hundreds of years that they're suffering there until they've paid up what they've owed. But if you give me money, I will pray that their stay in purgatory will be shorter. And I'll give you a signed certificate, guaranteed. You know, notarized and everything. <laughs> and the, the, this is, you know, who's not going to do that? If you believe this, my father is in purgatory. My father is suffering in torment. And if I give a certain amount of money, I will lessen his time in torment. Is that not a way of controlling and manipulating people? And this is what's been done all is it Peter, when this money subject of money and religion comes up, Peter goes crazy. He goes, man, you, you take your money and just... Let the money perish. We take it, you know, because that's exactly what's going to happen, by the way. How much can we take with us? Of course, you've all seen the humorous ones where the, you have the um, uh, funeral hearse with the pulling a uh, U-Haul. Um, there, there was one where casket was up front and people were putting money in the casket to help and assist this man on his, on his journey. And another man came up and started gathering up all the money <clears throat> and wrote a check and put it down. <laughs> it's a way of controlling and manipulating. He says, your money's paid with you. You have no part in this. You don't understand what's going on. When he says this, no part, some have taken that to say, well, you, know, you're, you, know, you don't understand this, you have no part in this, you're not really saved, you're not really a believer. And possibly that is what Peter meant. But you have no part in this. I think something else that needs to be remembered in this tirade of Peter's is as follows. He is angry. He's not, he's not 
condemning this person or sending this person to hell or anything like that. He's angry, he's upset because of what was just shared, the comment that was made. Uh, Once upon a time, (laughs) there was a guy who grabbed a hold of Jesus and said, I'm never going to let this happen to you. I'm never going to let them crucify you. I'm never going to. And Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, was Peter Satan? No. But where did that thought and where did that, those, where did it, he's talking about the fact, and so I think this is similar, where Peter says, man, this is, this is stuff of the devil. He says, your heart is not right. He said, repent, therefore. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, change your mind. And, and so there's a way out for this. Repent, therefore, of this thy witness. Pray, God, peradventure, that thoughts of thy heart may be forgiven thee. Uh, also, there's a remembrance here of the fact that um, do we have to act something out in order for it to be sin, or can we think it and it be sin? Very early in Jesus' ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery in his heart. Our thoughts can be sin. And and may I suggest to you, uh, for a long, long time, it is not the deeds of my hands or the places where my feet take me, but it is my mouth and my head that gets me in more trouble than anything else. My thoughts and my mouth are like 90-some-odd percent of my, the sins I commit. And, and, and this, is, this is who we are. But he said that the thought of your heart might be forgiven you. I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. That's an interesting phrase. The gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He said, he said sin's got a hold of you. This is, this is not good. And, and almost implying the fact this bond of bitterness, it's like you're bitter over the fact you've lost this city. This city is no longer under your control. You're jealous of what we have and what we're doing. You need to change your mind. You need to change your heart about all of this. This is not, how, this is not a good plan. You can't buy this. I'm so glad. Salvation and the gifts of God cannot be purchased. Your heart is not right. The thought of your heart, gall of bitterness... You're still pining over what was lost. But again, he's been a believer only for a few days. And verse number 24, then Simon said, I pray you, pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things you've spoken come upon me. He wants to do right. I'm going to give Simon the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say he was saved for such, he believed and he was saved for such a short time, but did not understand all the things that were involved. But Peter makes it clear this is not money. This is not about money. And it's interesting, even in regards to ministry, Simon seeks forgiveness. Is he sincere or is he just afraid? Salvation is not of works. It cannot be purchased. It cannot be earned. It's a free gift. And ministry is the same way. If you're going to be involved in ministry, it's very, very clear from even the requirements for those that are in leadership in regards to elders or pastors or bishops or deacons or whatever, uh, not to be drawn by filthy lucre. Both Timothy, First Timothy and Titus include that, not greedy. It's not, it's not for the money. However, later in the same thing, in, in Timothy, in the same book, it says that a, a workman is worthy of his hire, but he's not in it. Is it a ministry or is it a job? Is it a career or is it a ministry? 
The word ministry changes everything. And even from the standpoint of, you know, Christian school teachers, and I, I've used this for, for years and years and years and years to avoid complaint or to, you know, people say, well, that's not my job. Ministry. When you use the term ministry, all of a sudden it's, that's not in my job description. <laughs> that, that phrase goes out the window because what you're doing is a ministry. It's a ministry. Why are you doing what you're doing? And again, why did Simon want, did he want his power back? Do you think he could purchase this? And, 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 and think about that for a minute. If I could heal blindness, if I could honest to goodnessly heal blindness in the way Jesus did, in the way Peter and John did, in the way Paul did, it's also interesting, I, I, I just kind of throw this out. Philip is doing miracles before the Holy Spirit comes upon these people. Okay? Now, the Holy Spirit's there. And, that's, and I, I guess what I want to emphasize is unclean spirits are out and he's healing the lame people and so forth. So the Holy Spirit is present through all of this. But he shows himself in a special way when Peter and John are there, in a special way that Simon sees and says, oh man, I... Ooh. This is awesome. But if I could honest to goodness heal blindness, what could I charge for my services? What do frail, flawed doctors <laughs> charge for their services in only hopes of having some kind of benefit or healing? If I could make the lame to walk without surgery, if I could heal leprosy or cancer with a touch, How much, could I, how much could I have? I could work any hours I wanted to. That's not how it works. How much would you charge? Peter said, that's not what it's about. He said, you take your money. This is not about money. We're not, we're not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people for any kind of personal gain. This is to see them in the presence of God. This is out of a love for the lost souls of mankind. We want them to be part of God's kingdom. Not for the money. And again, maybe a message that needs to be shared with many a, many a televangelist or many a charlatan of today. Well, pray for me, he says. Peter and John, they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans to their credit. Peter and John come to check it out, but they have already made up their minds that this is something that they want to be true. They want it to happen. They want it to be so. And please, God, send the Holy Spirit on these people so we all can see and we all can know that Samaritans can be saved too. And then on the way home, what do they do? They stop at other villages of the Samaritans. I'm guessing that they probably didn't stop on the way up, <laughs> but at least they did stop on the way back to show that Samaritans can be saved. And we're going to stop and we're going to share the gospel with them. They testified and they preached. It's not about power, it's not about money, it's not about fame. 
It's not for selfish reasons or selfish ambition. God doesn't need our money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The wealth in every mind. Your gold and your silver, keep it. Don't need it. Don't want it. And even when you think later of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul probably was extremely wealthy. As a Pharisee, as one who had been brought up in all of this, he probably was pretty well-to-do. Even to the point where even his family probably was because he was able to have private tutoring uh, far from home in Jerusalem at the feet of the very best of the rabbis. I count all this but dung that I might win Christ. Shipwrecked, imprisoned, beaten. Moses said, he said, I would rather suffer reproach with, the, with my people. He esteemed the riches of Egypt, reproach better than the riches of Egypt. Walked away. Money, manipulation, <laughs> and ministry. Peter says, be on the lookout for those who are doing it for the wrong reason. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had today to look at your word. I thank you for the free gift of salvation that it does not depend on checking off a list of requirements or debts or steps or things that we must do to earn our salvation. Thank you for the free gift. Again, we pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts. Help us to be willing to share Jesus Christ with other people. Unashamedly so. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.